I was at your show at Green Bar not too long ago, and really great show, by the way. Thanks. And something I noticed and I pointed out to you was I saw the JLW on your case, you know, and I mentioned I'm a fan of Darjeeling Limited. Right, and you're the the first one to to pick up on that at a show. So you're a fan of that movie? Yes. I think that there are a few of us out there. That seems to be the outcast of the Wes Anderson canon. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. It's always like there's either people who don't mention the life aquatic at all, or they love it. I've always thought of that, but I mean, we actually had a conversation amongst the lookers on the way back from a show the other night about what our favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie was, and it was a Another vote for Darjeeling Limited, but then the classics, Royal Tenenbaums, right. Rushmore. But right. Darjeeling Limited, that was, I guess that was just good timing for me when I saw that movie, and it's just kind of resonated, I guess. Yeah, you know, I have sort of this community of, like, film nerd friends, and that seems to be the one that hardly anybody really likes, which is a big surprise to me, because when I saw it, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, when I saw it, it felt like the best Wes Anderson movie to me since Rushmore. You know, and I, yeah. Rushmore's my favorite. Right. You know, I saw it at a really, like, impressionable age, and it just really hit home with me. But, right. yeah, Darjeeling just, to me, clicked in a way that the others hadn't. But since then, like, you've got Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom, of course, which people freaked out over. Right. But I, and see, Moonrise Kingdom was kind of, I don't know. Didn't work for you? take it or leave it for me. At least in the, in the canon of Wes Anderson. So the bar is kind of set yeah. pretty high, but, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I noticed, like, you know, on Twitter and stuff, if, like, I had mentioned that a Wes Anderson movie was playing in Birmingham or something, you would be one of the people that would, like, respond to it. So, if you are you a big film fan or, like, Wes Anderson specifically, or is it something that has um, I'm been definitely, a- I couldn't hold my own in, like, a, like you said, film nerd conversation. I couldn't do that, but I definitely, yeah, I like movies, and I love Wes Anderson. So, I mean, I'm constantly, I think I've watched more TV than movies in the last year but yeah just constantly trying to watch something i always wonder how other art influences other artists or if it's something that you would just use to entertain yourself is it something that you just do for fun or is it something that you do feel like shapes what you do as a songwriter um i think it definitely shapes it at least for me because i think there's a certain even visual or i don't know like a space that we're going for sometimes in our music and i think that the way you know like Wes Anderson uses, I don't know, Endorgian Limited, like pastel colors and open space to convey a certain aesthetic. And we're kind of doing the same thing with different sounds. So just trying to do that. Um, it's funny that you, you bring that up. I was looking at the new Wes Anderson movie, Buzz or whatever, in the comments section. There was not a peep about the movie itself, but a debate about the best Kinks album. So I think these things go hand in hand. Yeah, definitely, and it's interesting because it sounds like there's a visual component to your songwriting is that you were talking about, like, the visual things that he applies to his movies. Like, there's a lot that goes into the production design and the overall design and the aesthetic of his films. Help me liken that to what you do from um, a songwriting standpoint. People talk about they have, like a, like, a landscape in mind. You'll hear bands say that, that they had a landscape in mind when they went to the studio, and that ends up producing some amazing albums. And I guess we're just trying to tap into the same thing. And it's, it comes from sound and songwriting, I think. 
probably more sound with us, though on talk sometimes there were moments that the lyrics wouldn't have meant anything without the sounds that came with them. So they're definitely trying to work together to push towards an image or a, a feeling or something like that. Yeah, you know, like I've told people before, like I play guitar just for fun, but I'm no musician, and I don't think I would know where to start, like songwriting wise. And I, I'm a big movie guy. I love movies and I love soundtracks, and so I feel like I would get stuck every time trying to like, like with the Wes Anderson movie, I would think, well, this kind of sounds like a song that would be in this kind of movie, or right. like this is how I would like score a certain movie. I feel like that I would just get stuck. In line. Really? Yeah. And that's something that we'll kind of joke about if we something ends up sounding a certain a certain way, we'll say, well, that that could fit in a whatever um i think the big one that has been on my mind the last few months is django unchained the way that the spaghetti western music you know what i mean just works so well and then i don't know that soundtrack was amazing so that's been the last one that to me and it's set in the south and he has kind of an unconventional way obviously of dealing with that and so that was that was really interesting to me so i don't know those sorts of things are always in folks mind i guess so soundtracks have been a big part of your life have you have you been someone who's sort of like noticed soundtracks or is it just all music in general i mean do you separate the two or um i mean i think there are songs that they're definitely separate but they work together so well sometimes like you know going back to the kinks again i can't tell you how many times i've listened to their song strangers that i would have heard the song without Darjeeling Limited, but I'm not sure I would have understood the emotional impact, I guess. It just means more when you have this context mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the Kinks had no idea that that was going to be however many decades later that it would be used in that way, but then it is, and it just has a lot of resonance, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting how filmmakers can sort of influence pop culture in the mainstream and in music, I guess, in turn, because, I mean, you think of a guy like Tarantino or Wes Anderson, but you hear all these songs that have appeared in his films that are now appearing in commercials. Right. And there are people who probably wouldn't have known who like Dick Dale was and wouldn't have been influenced from a surf rock standpoint if right. it wasn't for hearing that in Pulp Fiction for the first time. Right. And But I wanted to talk a little bit about what you're doing now. You mentioned that you were with The Lookers mm -hmm. or that you were on like a car ride home with The Lookers. You're in two bands at once now. Your right. own band, Kalu Kalei, and now you're with your friend and now colleague, Blaine Duncan. You're a looker now. Right. So how do you balance that? It seems like it would be difficult. I mean, you have to concentrate so much on realizing what Blaine wants you to do to realize his musical vision in a live setting. But at the same time, you're having to think of ways to keep yourself focused on Kalu Kalei and, and stay inspired and keep your eye on the ball from a songwriting standpoint. Do you, do you feel yourself losing focus at all, trying to like juggle those two things? I think the hardest part has been actually about right now you know we're both getting busy with shows and so just being able just from a pure scheduling time logistical standpoint like making all that happen getting all the practices in that we need with both groups but you know even when i started playing with blaine i took a different guitar than i usually play with kalu to the practice i'd like use different sounds and pedals and stuff just to try to i get both in terms of how it sounds and in my own mind kind of draw a line of you know you're contributing to this band and i want to contribute as much as blaine wants me to contribute but i certainly still have my own thing that i have to concentrate on so it's kind of a weird balance but if something pops in my head it usually ends up in kalu Kalei instead of you know, I'm thinking about what Blaine has already done, how I interpret that. That's a lot different than pulling sounds kind of, you know, out of my own head. Well, and certainly 
it doesn't seem like you're doing what people in Blaine Duncan and the Lookers have done before. You bring a new element to the band. Would you say that the word noise is associated with what you do and what Kalu Kale does from time to time, used in different contexts and different ways, but like noise rock, and that's not necessarily like a negative thing. Right. But there's that sound. I can kind of hear that sort of like distorted sort of dreamy sound in Blaine's music now that I've definitely heard in Kalu Kale. Is that something that you're bringing subconsciously, or is that something that Blaine wanted you to bring to the band? I mean, I think when he asked me to do it, because if you just like made me play acoustic guitar and like trade licks with the five best guitarists in Tuscaloosa or whatever, then you know that's not going to go well for me. But you know, going through the whole rig, I think that maybe there's some more original things going on. But so when he asked me to come play with him, I think he kind of knew what he was getting, and they've definitely encouraged that. Um, they use that word all the time: noise or weird. Make what do you weird. think? What do you think when you hear those words associated with what you do? Noise is cool. I love guitar effects and pedals and amps, and so like noise is definitely on my mind. And I grew up, the, the big band for me was, and people get tired of me saying this, but was U2. And so their guitar player, The Edge, I don't know that's a joke to a lot of people, but their guitarist is just this phenomenal, almost, he has like this archive library of effects, and that was fascinating to me. So just adding a different flavor to what Blaine's doing, for sure. It's kind of been my job more than to like play lead guitar licks. So somewhere between like I don't know, like a keyboard synthesizer player and a guitar player is probably where I fall with them. And then with Kalu Kale, the noise rock stuff. I mean, yeah, that's definitely in there. It's funny you mention you too because I mean I go back to I, like I like a lot of their stuff. I like Octong Baby the album mm-hmm. so much. I think it's great, and obviously like the Joshua Tree, and they've done great stuff since then. But I go back to the documentary it might get loud oh yeah where it the edge sort of gives you this little mini tutorial on pedals and effects and how he's playing something pretty basic right but he's applying two note riff right he's applying so much to it right is that something that you do would you say that there's not much that's totally complex about your songwriting or the way you play but the noise that you applied to and like the pedals that you mentioned before I mean how does that figure in to the songwriting and saying well hey I'm going to start basically here and then just sort of see where it goes in terms of like how I can apply these other things to it um I think that on a lot of our earlier music it was definitely started with an acoustic guitar and like an actual songwriting kind of thing you know where I sat in my living room and wrote these things out and kind of took them to the band and we work through it and create a song out of it compared to some of the newer stuff on the last song cycle album whatever where uh, it was definitely more noise influenced I guess so you know we're, we're coming together and I'm not really sure what the song's gonna be like I just have a riff or something like that and would play it and the effects and the noise definitely factor in on that you know sometimes I wish that I'll like do something and but there's all these delay pedals going and you know this cloud and I'm like oh that was a pretty cool little guitar part but it kind of just gets lost in all the noise which is cool but and then other times you know it's a much more simplistic like you're talking about I think the song he was doing was Elevation where it's just boom boom just two notes over and over again and it's something more like that so you just brought this up sort of in passing but you said the five best guitarists in Tuscaloosa that's an interesting thought like to are there some names that you feel like you could rattle off as being uh no i'm definitely not like an authoritative source on that and i think that the best just 
like is always true, the best guitarists probably just have their guitar and amp set up in their bedroom or something like mm -hmm. that and do it when they get off work. Like today's Tuesday, I'll probably go to jazz night tonight and Jonathan Harms will play. I don't know if you've seen Jonathan before. He bounces around with different gigs, but um, in a rock setting, he's awesome. And then in a jazz setting, it's just like he does things. And that's a whole world that like I love a lot, but I definitely could not just go sit in with them at all and he just flies around and it's it's awesome so folks like that I'm still definitely learning part of the Blaine aesthetic that I had to pick up was I loved bands like the Dexatines and Lee Baines and you know just go down the list of bands that really to me sound like Alabama in the best way possible and sound like West Alabama in particular and there's a certain style and a feel that they all have that I'm, I'm trying to learn so all of those guys to me are just awesome and then there's people in cover bands that are great guitar players but maybe they just don't get credit from the original music group or however you want to put that the subgroup of folks musicians but they're you know still great yeah great players there are just so many different kinds of great guitarists yeah they're, so that's hard to say yeah you can't really say well this guy's the best you could probably say there's nobody better than that person you can't really make an argument to say, well, yeah, this guy's definitely better, or he's better than them. He's just great in a different way. Yeah, he's great at what he's doing. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned the Blaine aesthetic. You said especially West Alabama. They sound especially like West Alabama. What does West Alabama sound like? I don't know. I mean, I think I've said this before. I think me and Corey Pennington talked about it one time when he was still in town. To me, driving from like Montgomery to Tuscaloosa on 82, if you listen to a Dexatines album there and then turn and go to Columbus, it just makes sense. Like, I don't know what then we're going back to this like idea of place and soundtrack. And I think, you know, thinking back, that would have been a good time to bring up. I guess a lot of my memory of music is listening to it on car rides and Heather, I was an only child. So like we weren't like, there's nobody like hitting the backseat, you know, mm -hmm. like we had, or I had to, you know, talk to my parents or put on some headphones or read a book or whatever. So I definitely associate different things with landscape and stuff like that. But, you know, listening to say Hardwire Healing, their record coming back. I mean, that just makes total sense to me and it feels like here. So there's sort of a blend with Dexatines and the Lookers now and what you guys are doing because you didn't play on the new studio album, right? right. When she dies, the Dexatines did, Lee Baines did, and I think someone with the bear did, correct? Yeah, Nathan. Yes. So obviously, there's going to be a specific way that sounds, and it's going to sound like the guys in the Dexatines playing with Blaine Duncan. To a large extent, yeah. Yeah, but you're playing that music now live, right? So. Are you doing what they did on the album, or is there just a complete difference? No, I definitely tried to mimic what especially Lee Baines did on the record, because he did a lot of the lead parts. You know, I started with that idea, and then we practiced for, I don't know, three or four months before we actually played a show. So in the course of that, and then kind of not listening to what had been recorded almost intentionally to, like, you know, learn the parts and take them in, and then let it develop naturally into what it needed to develop between the four of us, and then playing that show. I mean, I definitely had them there as a jumping off point, which was kind of intimidating because when we played that first show, it was with Lee and the Glory Fires and like Ellie McPherson was there and, you know, to try to duplicate their parts or anything that I had changed. It's like, well, it better be good if I changed it. So, Yeah, but I mean, in no way are you a, a, a cover band artist or, a, you know, a cover artist. Right. You know, there's nothing there's nothing that says cover band about Kalu Kalei, for instance. You right. know, you guys are a totally original band. So it would seem like you wouldn't feel as challenged just doing 
what someone else was doing. Again, I can hear Adam Morrow and what's happening with the lookers now. I don't think, well, that sounds like the Dexatines are, again, the lookers from the past. Yeah. Jumping off point would be the best way to put it. Understanding how to approach the song and what it needed. And I'm not going to, I can't play it note for note like a lot of what they did just because that style is so you know like people may laugh at this but the intro to Blaine's song Reckless is this acoustic guitar kind of like twangy like rolling around finger picking kind of stuff and I have to do that live and that took me like I had to spend like a couple hours with it one afternoon to really get it locked in and then it took a few practices to get it locked in with the whole band so it's a different style and approach and the way that the like even the notes in the scale that I would bend and like hang out on are a lot different than they are in Kalu Kalei. But this is something that you obviously embrace. This is a way to sort of like broaden your horizon still yeah, and absolutely. grow. Because I love bands, not to drive, I mean, everybody wants to just drive the Dexatines into the ground and saying how great they are. But I mean, you know, I went to Tuscaloosa County High School, way out here near where you live. And so the effect that had on me was not wanting to hear anything that sounded like the things that the guys in the big trucks would be listening to. You weren't one of those guys in the big trucks? I wasn't. (laughs) So, you know, getting to, I guess, a place where it's like, oh, country music can actually be valid, which I guess I always knew because, you know, A Brother Where Art Thou came out right as I was learning to play guitar and that resonated. But, you know, going back and, and thinking, well, this kind of country, country's not the right word for the Dexatines, but, you know, it feels Southern. Southern, yeah. Southern aesthetic. Yeah. And learning, I guess the, it sounds so arrogant, but the the validity of that, you know, because you want to dismiss, like, whatever drivel is on country radio is just like, well, Southern music must be done. But obviously it's not at all. And when I was 16 and didn't know how to look underneath the surface of what's going on, I wouldn't have known that. But now getting to participate in it is definitely cool because like you said, Kalu Kalei doesn't sound anything like all of that, but I still love all of that. So it's been great to, to kind of dig in. Yeah, and country music in the 1950s is a lot different than country yeah, music in absolutely. the 90s or even now. Right. So it's interesting how it's sort of evolved and people define country music. So when you say country music, it's kind of like saying rock. You can't just describe something as rock anymore, really. Right. There's all of these little subgenres of what's out there. Yeah. You know, or like someone saying indie music. I'm sure that what you do is called indie music by a lot of people. Yeah. Like, how do you classify Kalu Kalei? Can you? I mean, is it something different with each song and with each with each album? I'm always curious. Do artists get frustrated when they see how their music is described by like writers and certain people? Yeah, I think sometimes it makes people laugh, especially when you can tell. I mean, you can always tell. Like when I came over here, I knew that the questions were going to be well thought out. You listened to Kalu Kalei before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you kind of would have done your homework and you can tell when that isn't the case um, and sometimes that comes out in the descriptions and especially with a, a name like Clu Kalei yeah. I think people can kind of take that and I mean I don't know I don't know what people think that would sound like but there's been some funny different you know I think that would be the first word that comes to mind for a lot of people the name is different you have odd punctuation in your uh, in your band title it's so dumb it's so dumb yeah but I mean I'm not going to ask you you know why you named your band Kalu Kalei or we just came, like that. I mean, I'll tell you, we just came, like, we're throwing around different things that it could have been, and that, I don't know, like, we just got, I hate naming stuff. I'm yeah. bad at naming songs, I'm just not good <laughs> at it, so. Naming a band seems like the toughest, though. 
It is, know? because, you know, you think of, like, a great band name, and then you think, well, how did they come up with that? Like, we talked about Beach House a few weeks ago, and, like, how did they find the name when they were just first starting out that fit their music so perfectly? I don't know. That's amazing to me. And then bands that just hit it so well with simplicity, like, I think, like, the Polys or the Dexatines or, you know, any the, and then it's just a great... Just powerful one word thing. Yeah, you know, and I'm a big fan of Bachwai, and I always wondered, like, right. well, how did they come up with Bachwai? Yeah. You know, and he'll tell you the story or whatever, but it's just like sometimes you don't even want to know. It just yeah. works. Or like Abby Gogo. Right. You know, that that totally worked names. for me. Yeah, yeah, they are. You mentioned that you went to Tuscaloosa County High. When did right. you graduate? December 2007. Grew up in Tuscaloosa? Mm-hmm. And so you grew up in, like, what kind of family, what kind of neighborhood? The suburbs, middle class, mm-hmm. like, generic. Like I, I think I said it earlier, I'm an only child. Uh, my dad teaches psychology at County High, and he taught literature there before that. Uh, so your dad was teaching at your school? Yeah. So that had to be kind of weird. Right. Um, well, I mean, I grew up with County High being like so strongly associated with him. Like I remember going to the old school in downtown Northport with him on Sunday night so he could get ready for the next day or whatever, get his test ready, make copies. Run, I'd run around the hallways. So I think he teaches it psychology, and that's an interesting topic. And he's always, if you want to like psychoanalyze that at all, he's always spitting out stuff at home. And so that's always being absorbed by me, I hope. But it's the cool class and the fun class. So I think, and he's, I mean, I love my dad, and he's awesome. Like, I want to hang out with him. So if anything, he was... He's definitely more popular than me in school. So, I mean, like, he's like, he's the cool guy to have associated with you. So, you had that choice, right, of like going to another school because your parents parent yeah. taught at the school yeah, you went to. But I, you, I did that in middle school. Where'd you go to in middle school? I went school? to Eccles right okay. when it first opened. So, because I went to Vestavia and then to Eccles and then on to County High. So, you know, at that point, I had a group of friends from Eccles and a group of friends from earlier that I, you know, like grew up with, so it just made sense to go to County High. Wait, and were you into music in high school? Yeah. I got my first guitar when I was, I think, a few days before my 11th birthday. Did your parents give it to you? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they were pretty supportive of the, of yeah, the music absolutely. thing? Yeah, Are they still? Yeah. Yeah? I think maybe they wish that there were less committing hobbies that I could have and kind of move on, especially, like, I just, and again, I'm young, I just turned 23, so maybe it's time to like let's move on towards adulthood and stuff but uh i don't know they were always super super cool yeah not very strict or anything about like what music you were listening to no not at all i don't know the only thing i can remember them being really strict about was my mom said you can't watch the simpsons as a child and then when i was probably in about sixth grade one of my dad's students gave him a vhs tape of the simpsons and we watched it when my mom was out of town, and then that rule went out the window because he just laughed the whole Friday night. So, But, I mean, as far as music, there were things maybe that they would have preferred me not to... I don't know. They weren't strict. Right. But they would be like, well, maybe that's not a... Like, like listening to a Rolling Stones song, and they're like, rock and roll lifestyle or whatever, they're just kind of, you know, like, eh. Right. But, I mean, they're not going to... But they knew that you, you understood it, and yeah, you could, like, so. okay, and distinguish it. And I, and I imagine having a dad who was in psychology would probably give you sort of, like, a head start on a lot of stuff, like, in terms of music or media in general sort of having that effect on you. Yeah, he's definitely open-minded, so... Yeah, and so you mentioned, too, you didn't listen to the music that a lot of people at County High listen to, the guys in the trucks and that kind of thing. I mean, did you start playing music when you were in high school, and did you, like, form bands and that kind of thing? Were you, were you, were you weren't, like, an outcast or anything, No, were you? no. The songs probably would have been better if I had them. I mean, I was, like, 
well-adjusted teachers, uh-huh. kid, had friends, like, doing stuff. I don't know. I mean, music was definitely, I mean, I got the guitar when I was, like I said, about to turn 11, and I think that it immediately took up pretty much all of my, like, even if I was just sitting watching TV, I'm sitting there playing the guitar, and I think that it, I guess I adopted pretty quickly that as, like, a way of identifying myself, so by high school, that was full throttle. It seems like musicians in high school are outcasts a lot of the time, though, because, I mean, in my day anyway, like, if you were really good at an instrument, that didn't make you, like, one of the cool kids in school. You know what I mean? Like, when does music, it's just interesting to see, like, when music, when being really good at music or just interested in it and a performer, when that makes you one of the cool kids, because, I mean, you grow up knowing this notion of a rock star, right? But it just doesn't start as soon as you think it might. I don't know. I still don't, I mean, I don't think my friends think it's that cool that I'm, like, in Kalukale. They don't, most of them don't really care, so I don't know if it ever started. But definitely in high school, it's, I don't know, people are mean to each other in high school. So it's, why would you want somebody to be cool when you could be mean to each other? Right. But, I mean, you know, I really don't, there's no, like, bad memories or anything like that. Yeah. Well, and you said that your parents were supportive. Do they still come to your shows? Yeah. If there's a really good show coming up and like I really really like the other band and I think the whole thing is going to be good then I'll tell them hey I think you should come uh-huh. check this one out and like if we ever play at the Bama Theater then they're going to come to that yeah. and stuff like that but you know it's just you know they have full time jobs yeah. and they stay really busy so are they those like front row parents who like cheer after every song no not at all and are you up on stage like god mom dad <laughs> no <laughs> you know because I see uh, you're wearing a Luxy t-shirt right yeah. now, and I was at their show at the DCAF, the Druid yeah. City Arts Festival. I saw their they had this fan section. Yeah, this contingency of uh, what looked like moms, Luxy moms or something, you yeah. know, who were out there cheering, you know, wearing these like baseball jerseys that said Luxy on the front, and I yeah, just thought was that awesome. was hilarious. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was kind of cool. Like you don't really see that right. usually with bands, especially locally. Yeah, I mean they usually play after eleven o'clock and. You know, it may be a weekend, maybe not. So why would they? You know, it's a lot easier to go see him on a nice sunny Saturday. Oh yeah, I don't blame them at all. Yeah, perfect setting. Yeah. Well, so you formed Kalu Kale. Remind me when was it? Mid two thousands or late? Yeah, um, I was still finishing up high school when we like decided this is the name and this is what we're gonna do. And the music doesn't sound anything like what it does even now. Even what ended up on Sarsaparilla, like it's not even even close to that first album but that was when we started same band members no the only person who's the same is natalie okay and you met her in high school yeah okay you guys are dating now right yes and did you date in high school yes and have you been dating ever since yes so no like breaking up or anything okay well see i think that's interesting because i think dating a band member would be an impossible thing to do. And that's just, you know, obviously I've never been in a band and in that situation, but I think like if my wife or girlfriend even worked where I worked, then it would just be constant headbutting all the time, (laughs) arguing nonstop about, you know, not only like the artistic merit of whatever we were doing, but also just those everyday things that a couple argues about. But has it been a pretty seamless thing for you guys? Yeah, I mean, because it's now we've played music together longer than we haven't as far as being in a relationship. So, yeah, I think it was pretty easy. I think I'm probably unfair to her a lot of the time in that, like, I kind of, this is a real dumb thing to say, but, like, I don't want to say expect more, but, like, you know, I kind of, like, I'm like, you know, it should click pretty quick for you because I know what you're capable of and stuff, and so maybe sometimes I'm not as patient as I should be with her but that's about the only thing that's one time out of ten the other nine it's 
great to have her there mm. because even you know you get to the point where you're kind of traveling around a little bit and trying to do that then i mean i mean i feel like at least me i'd want her there you know what i mean even if she wasn't playing and so to have her there all the time is awesome you know another example of this would be like sparrow and the ghost like Stuart bond dated rachel yeah and they broke up yeah but they have continued sparrow and the ghost yeah well they slowly had to work their way back in it off. yeah yeah i mean i've thought about that and i have no idea how i would handle that situation but i'm super glad that they figured out whatever right. they're doing because it's amazing music yeah well you know and i also think like well what if i was the drummer bowen in your band i've thought about that before like i mean do you feel like the constant third wheel at all times because your other two bandmates are they're not only dating but if there was ever any sort of argument more more yeah. so than not they're they're probably going to be on the same page and they're well, going to gang up on me i've i don't know i made it a point to not do avoid doing that uh -huh. at all it's because i mean i would all i'd feel awful if that was the case if you felt that way at all so you know when we were doing the hackberry records thing back in the day reed joked because it was spare on the ghost and then us and they were two bands that were majority couples mm -hmm. and obviously he's like this is kind of shaky ground for a, <laughs> a label to be on when you know two of the more active members are dating i think that when there's the three of us are actually in a room playing music it, it doesn't really matter who's you know there's the dynamic between all three of us that kind of at least at that moment is not more important but more real i guess than just you know, me and Natalie, where there's the three of us. And then when we stop playing, it's like, okay, well, it's me and Natalie and there's Bowen. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, once we're... And that goes for the decision-making process, too. It's definitely a group, 100%. And when you're at shows, you're like, well, Bowen, let's find you somebody. <laughs> you know, or on the road. No, I mean, we all hang out <laughs> together, and he's got a girlfriend now that he's had for, I guess, going on over a year. So and she's hanging out now. So, well, tell me a little bit about you mentioned Hackberry Records, and mm -hmm. that was something that sort of went on for a few years. Was it a few years, or maybe a couple? Like a couple um, years before before Reed moved to Florence now, or is or the Shoals. How did you get involved with that? And did that seem like something as a young artist, a young musician, that was easy to sort of latch on to? Yeah, absolutely, because we played with the National Trust mm -hmm. a lot, which was Stuart and Reed's band. Um, they haven't played in a long time, so I don't know if people, surely people still remember them. But So it was totally natural. And like the first time I met Reed, he was on this long, like excited rant about something music industry this music and you know, like i was like i've never been around anybody that would just do that and he loves music so much that it's it's contagious to his drive and his love of it so it's very very natural to like want to be around somebody like that and also i mean we're already like i said we're playing shows with the band already so it just made sense mm -hmm. yeah and was it i mean looking back did you enjoy that did it end abruptly or how um, did that I mean, work it kind of Fizzled out, I think, would be the better way to put it. You know, a lot of things would be the best way to put it. I'm trying to, like, reconstruct that timeline now because it didn't feel, like, bad or abrupt at all as it happened. It was like Reed's moving to Florence, and that's the thing. That's fine because Sparing the Ghost is kind of winding down, so, or at least his involvement in it is winding down. So going up there kind of makes sense, and he really wants to take this music thing seriously. So, you know, this is the logical move him so and then you know the tornado happened right as all that was was going like he was supposed to leave the next week so 
there was no ill will ever at that time. So this, like, you know, and especially when that happened, it was we just wanted to, I mean, everybody just wanted to hug everybody. Right. So it's like, you know, certainly no, you just wish him the best of luck. Yeah, it just was what it was. Yeah, I mean, and it's still, he's the first, one of the first people that I will, you know, when we finish a group of songs or like when we finish the last record or whatever, he's one of the first people that I send it to. So to see what he thought. So still very important relationships. Well, you had said that, you know, because he took the music thing very seriously. So it seemed like the logical step for him to move where he wanted to go. As someone who does have a band in Tuscaloosa, yeah, where it has proven difficult at times for artists to, I guess, sort of flourish. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like at times that it's the next logical step for you guys to go someplace else with Kalukale? No. And I, I think that the thing that makes that true is that there is an interstate that goes through Tuscaloosa, and there's a good north-south highway. You know, Birmingham is 45 minutes away. We can go to Mobile pretty quickly. That can be a, a one-off show. We can go to Florence. We can go, you know, Atlanta's not that far away. Nashville's not that far away. So it's still, like, a good location. We have to be on our toes about being plugged into the larger regional music scene in addition to, and maybe at the expense of in the last year or two, the Tuscaloosa music scene to kind of engage with bands from the Shoals and bands from Mobile, bands from Birmingham, whatever, and try to kind of scratch our way into, into that. Because, you know, things do happen easier for a group from the Shoals. And part of that is they're all really, really, really good. So that not taking away from that at all, um, and they live in a town where they're encouraged to have all their their junk together before they go play a show. You know, they'll practice for months and hone their craft and then go out and do it. Um, and then once they do well, then there's a network there to support them. And the same thing is a different network and a different feel, but Mobile is the same way. Birmingham is the same way to an extent. There's maybe a larger audience isn't, it is about the audience, but it's also about the other the group of musicians around you that pushes you to create better work and says, well, hey, I know this band that wants to share a bill, or hey, I know this guy who may be interested in what you're doing. Like that, It is kind of a challenge because in Tuscaloosa, we don't necessarily have the musical infrastructure to really push somebody up the ladder, I guess. Not to say it can't be done at all, or that there isn't just some fantastic people in town, but it's not quite the same. Well, it just seems like it's a challenge to market yourself, both touring and by rele- when you're releasing an album, and how to like distribute that album, and yeah. like, how you get the word out now. Exactly, and those are the kind of things that like the support system that is in place in Florence, if you are in the shoals, if you're doing the right thing and playing well and making talking to the right people, that those things maybe come a little bit easier once well, it comes time to do that. With your last album, mm-hmm. Talk, which came out late October last yeah. year. Before that, you released an EP, right, mm-hmm. that you distributed online, or you just gave it away? It's totally online, and you had to, like, give us your email address. Yeah, to get so it. you gave it away. Yeah. And now uh, this album was on iTunes, and you distributed it online, right? Yeah. An online platform. Talk a little bit about how that worked for you, how it's been working for you, if it's something that you think you'll keep doing. Or will you go back to any sort of like traditional release format? I think that Blaine has nailed the way to do, I think, so far. We'll see what sounds like a stodgy business thing to say. We'll see what his numbers look like at the end of May after he releases. But, I mean, he had such an awesome response to the pre-release stuff. And he's getting these physical copies out. He was able to produce the product that he wanted to produce, which we were able to produce the product largely that we wanted to produce. 
and we recorded in Birmingham with Emmanuel Alinas, and that was awesome. But once we got done doing that, that took all summer because we were going back and forth to Birmingham to do this and trying to like scrape together the money to do it. I mean, we were broke by the time that we finished making the record. And that's really, you know, should be just this substantial but not large percentage of your budget of an album cycle. So, you know, that's why we put it out online because it doesn't cost anything to press. You know, you just pay like a one-time thing and it's on iTunes. Yeah, well, you know, I did an interview with Natalie back in like 2011 and we talked about that kind of distribution method. And Mm -hmm. the way she put it was... It went well, and we're glad we did it the way we did it, but it did sort of seem like it sort of flew under the radar when we did it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is, I don't know, we get so excited to just, like, put it out. You know, like, I know bands who've been sitting on music for months, a year, and they're just waiting for the right time or the right, you know, group of people to work with to put it out. And when that didn't look like that was going to happen in, like, a month, we were like, yeah, okay, let's put it out. Because we're just kind of excited to do it and to have it out there. And I think that's why, you know, it's probably not the best business decision to have all the songs on Bandcamp and you can listen to all of them. So you can listen to the whole album without paying for it, which is probably, like I said, an awful business decision. But I mean, we just kind of want people to, we're still in the phase where we want people to listen to us and kind of get an idea of what we're trying to do. And well, I mean, that's the best way to introduce yourself to people, to get yeah. your name out there and your sound out there. Yeah, I not mean, a good way to make money, though. Right, but I mean, are you at a point now where you, I mean, ideally, anybody wants to make a living doing what they love to do, and obviously right. you want to make a living make, being a musician, that's what you want to do, but are you at a point now where you, you feel like you have to? You, this is something you're committing to professionally, but also as a hobby and as, you know, I, I don't mean to sound like a parent here, saying, yeah. like, is this something well, you, wanna, you really want to do? Yeah, you have to think about, because it's like, you know, but that, that makes it so black and white, I guess. Yeah. I just know that we're, even if we're just going to make it a hobby, then we just want to do the best stuff that we can and get it out in the best way possible. And if we could get it, you know, whether this is moving towards something where we're making a lot of money or not, Right now, we have to just make sure that it's a sustainable thing. You know what I mean? Like, we can't just say, okay, we're going to record, and then all of us pull, you know, hundreds of dollars out of our pockets to do it. So we kind of have to look at, you know, what, how do we need to tour and make some money so that we can do this again and at least come out even. So I, mean, I guess that's where more where we are. So that, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, if we had the opportunity to do something on a larger scale, then yeah, absolutely. And of course, we want the most people possible who would enjoy our music to be able to get our music and listen to it and that be a thing. So, I don't know. I would imagine that someone who's serious about making music and touring and recording and all that, being a musician, being an artist, calling it a hobby, would seem like there would be like a negative connotation with that. There definitely is. But, you know, I think about Blaine is, it's been great to, to play with him because he even, you know, I listened to your podcast with him and he said... I am a teacher. That is his career. This music thing, that doesn't make that less valid. So he's still doing these things that I think, you know, he could be remembered as this great teacher by one group of folks, and then another group of folks say, well, he wrote these amazing, you know, Alabama weird songs that were great. And I'm learning that, 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 that both of those things can be true at the same time for whatever direction my life would take. But, uh, I mean, obviously, if you could do it full-time, that would be awesome. But quality of life from that standpoint, when you're doing two or three things at once, including being a musician at night, 
And that's usually where you're a musician, if, especially yeah. if you're playing shows. If you're on the road, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it, it's like what, and even listening to your talk with Elliot uh-huh. was, you know, he said they have families that, you know, it's just, if the money's right, the Dexatines will play, which, you know, if you told that to a, a band full of, like, 18-year-olds, they'd be like, well, that's not very rock and roll. That's not, that's not punk rock, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you're, but, I mean, that's, that's life. You know, you can, they can make great music, and he can still be a responsible family guy. Blank can still be a great teacher and still make great music. So. Well, in your case, though, your person is doing it with you, yeah. right? So does that help from that standpoint? It helps, but at the same time, it would be kind of nice if one of us had more conventional aspirations mm-hmm. so that, you know, not that the other one could freeload off of them, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, pushing 26, you know, she's older than I am. I mean, it would be awesome Got to make sure we got health insurance, yep. that sort of thing. So, what does she do? She's in grad school right now. Okay, at UA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you guys are playing a show this week. Yep. At Green Bar. Yep. Remind me with whom? The Early Americans. Are they Tuscaloosa or they're they... Birmingham? Okay. But they've been around a lot this semester. Um, I think they opened for the Capecchi Family Band, and have had a few other shows in town. So, hopefully they'll getting down here a lot because I don't, I don't know how long they've been around and not a super long time so but they checked out some of their stuff on their website and it's awesome so, so did you have did you have a relationship with them before you decided to no. get on the same bill or is that something that green bar arranged well this one was kind of a typically we'll say hey david is this date open or it'll be far enough in advance and he'll say hey do you guys want to play fill in the blank date and we'll say yeah should we ask around about bands and he'll say yeah, or no, I already have somebody in mind. But typically, we'll go and ask around. I think we've set up a show with Belladere recently and Looksee and brought an Underhill Family Orchestra. You know, there's bands that we meet, like, playing out that we want to bring to, well, obviously, Looksee's from here, but other bands that we want to bring in and kind of show our friends, basically, and get to play with in our hometown. So that's usually how that works. But this time, David found Early Americans for us. Yeah. So... I haven't met him yet, but like I said, awesome recordings, so looking forward to it. And just looking forward to playing live in general, because it's not something you guys do a lot. No, um, and that's probably, you know, we talked about being a professional musician or whatever. Mm -hmm. We probably should be playing a lot more, so we're about to enter a little period where we're playing a lot more. This will start that. We'll play that on Friday night and then go down to Mobile for South Sounds Music Festival, which is going to be great. Then we're actually playing at the Bama Theater for Acoustic Night with the Bear a week from Friday, so the 19th. So many music festivals yeah. in Alabama. I never knew how many music festivals there were. I think South Sounds is the one. Yeah? Yeah. Do you guys like the festival thing? I think it's awesome if it's done the right way. Mm-hmm. They started that festival with the intent of getting a bunch of quote-unquote open-coming southern bands together and having them play, but more importantly, having them be in the same place at the same time. Like it's like a networking kind of like mini South by Southwest, whatever, where it's just, you know, we meet people down there. We're like, hey, let's play a show. Let's do something, you know. I mean, just being around that many people who are from where you're from that are trying to do the same thing, you know, that's always a cool, cool thing. Well, you guys didn't play decaf this past weekend. No. Any reason in particular? I mean, we weren't asked. 
Yeah. I um, mean, is it at a the, point now where you have to be asked? Because I know that you could apply to be a part of it a couple of years ago, and that didn't yeah. fly with musicians back well, then. Well, we, we applied to be a part of it the first time, just like everybody else in town. Mm-hmm. It was cool. And like I remember like El Cantador came up, and there were a bunch of cool bands that we ended up playing with. And it was, it was fun. And you're like, man, this could really grow into something cool. And it, it has grown into something cool, but maybe a little bit different than what we've thought it would it's definitely not like a, the south sounds kind of feel mm-hmm. at all which isn't a bad thing I mean, it's its own thing so but the next year and this is like rehashing like old not grudges but it was definitely like a little bit of a there was a spat when mm-hmm. the creative campus decided it would be a good idea to charge the bands like 40 bucks mm-hmm. or something to apply to play right it costs like 25 to apply to the official south by southwest yeah. showcase which is a total both of them are a ripoff because i mean why are you i don't know that whole concept whatever yeah but, but just the fact that a local thing would cost more than one of the yeah, biggest festivals just, in the country yeah it's ridiculous and i mean they they took that away quick and but i mean there was a stink about it and it, to say that it showed anything about creative campus wouldn't be accurate because i mean you know that was the decision of a group of people who may not even live in Tuscaloosa anymore because of their students, it's transient, it's going to change every year, so I don't want to bash what they're trying to do now. That was just maybe the point where they lost a lot of local musician support. But to see him this year get Luxy and Kadesh and the Perfect Strangers, I mean, Kadesh, Ryan works with Creative Campus, so that's an easy connection for him, but I mean, still, those were great bands back-to-back Saturday afternoon, so it was cool. Yeah, so you'd be open to doing it in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel bad bringing that little spat up because, I mean, it's... <laughs> well, it happened, you know? I, I mean, mean, yeah, but two years is like the distant past in university years. Right. So. Well, all's well, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they'd love to have you. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, I guess we will see. Well, thanks a lot for doing this, man. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. All right. All right.